If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, find with me Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And the question I want to ask for you today is, is who are you trusting in? You say, well, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust anything. I am totally self-sufficient. Well, I would like for you to know that you have a problem with lying. Because we all trust someone. If you've ever drove over a bridge and you didn't get off the bridge, off your car, and walk over and look at the structure and the concrete and the, uh, all of the things that go into making a bridge work every time you get off and go to St. Louis, then you trust someone. Now, some of you probably look and research your medicine a little better than others, but my doctor prescribes something, I just take it. Why? I trust them. But yet, so many times in life, when it comes to church and it comes to the things of God, that is the area of our life the most that requires us to trust. One, we have to trust in who the Lord is and how He loves us, how He cares for us as we go through the valleys of life, as we go through the mountaintops. But on the flip side of that, we are also called to be on guard, knowing that Satan is always trying to undermine the faith and trust that we have. And he operates in that way, in one simple way, by sending false teachers into your life. By who you listen to on the radio. Sometimes it's the church that you attend. Sometimes it's the Christian music that you listen to. Satan wants to corrupt what you are intaking. That way your view of God begins to waver. Your view of church begins to waver so that when you're hurt and wronged and bitter and upset or when you just grow into a complacency, you don't even realize it's happening. But this morning, as we have been looking at what Jesus is teaching, Jesus warns them. And He warns them right after one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament. And why that happens is, just like in Jesus' life, If you have ever lived any part of your spiritual walk, you probably remember or know that after God uses you for something amazing or God does something amazing in your life, it is in that next moment that Satan usually tries to attack the most. You come to church, you hear a sermon about forgiveness, you hear a sermon about loving your enemy, and you tell yourself, I'm going to leave here, I'm going to go to work, and tomorrow I'm going to love the people that I would rather, that usually rather leave a lump on them. I'm going to love them. And the first thing that happens when you get to work is that employee that you dislike the most, that is the most annoying, that is the most difficult, has put it in overdrive, right? And they've hired someone else just like that person. And so everything in you says, why? Or right after a great move and you've been to a revival or a great service or something like that, sin will begin to tempt you and Satan will begin to work in your life. And that is no different. And friends, what you need to know is Jesus told them this because at the spiritual highest points of our life, when our marriage couldn't be any better, when our finances couldn't be any more secure, when our kids seem to be doing better than they've ever done before, Satan is not going to stop. He looks at those moments and says, this is where I'm trying to attack. This is where I'm trying to destroy. It's just like a church. Churches, when God is blessing, 
When God is working, when God is moving, you should be more on guard because Satan loves to try to destroy things that are alive. Satan tries to kill, steal, and destroy. You don't have to kill something that's already dead. You don't have to steal from something that's already bankrupt. And you don't have to destroy something that is already in ruins. That's why Satan doesn't bother most churches. There's nothing going on. There's nothing of blessing. And there's nothing of value. It's already been destroyed. That's why so many families, when we're at rock bottom, we don't think that we're under great temptation and persecution. Because why? Satan's already taken everything. But friends, I want you to know that no matter how little you think you're fighting for this morning, no matter how little of a hope that you think it is holding on by, there is always worth fighting for. There is always something worth fighting for. Your kids are worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Your church is worth fighting for. Your grandkids are worth fighting for. And this morning, Jesus tells us how to trust Him and how to trust as we go through the storms of life. And so if you would pray with me, we're going to go verse by verse through God's Word. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, You know that I have nothing good to offer. Lord, You know I am broken, I am sinful, I am weak. And Lord, only You in me is of any value. And so Lord, today I pray that You would speak, that You would work, that You would move. Lord, that we would leave different than we came. And Lord, I just ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so if you're not familiar with where we're at in Mark chapter 8, last week Jesus had fed the multitude, 4,000 people. He had worked the time before that in healing a deaf young lady. The week before that He had healed a young girl who was sick and dying. Jesus has been healing and working and moving and doing all of these amazing things. And we come to verse 11. You say, Jake, why are we in verse 11? If you've been here any length of time, you know this. We're in verse 11 because it comes after verse 10, right? Verse by verse through God's Word. And so the first thing I want to show you this morning is that Jesus knew their hearts and why they were there. And this morning I want you to know that Jesus knows our hearts. He knows why we're at church this morning. If it's because we want to be, it's because we were drugged here, it is because there's something else going on in our life. Jesus knows why we're here this morning. And so look at verses 11 and verse 12 with me this morning. Then the Pharisees came out. This is a religious group of people who hated Jesus. Everything about Him came out and began to dispute with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven, testing Him. But He sighed deeply in His spirit, and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Now, I want you to notice something. These people came with the single purpose of making Jesus' life miserable. They were self-righteous, they were religious, but yet on the inside, they were awful. Jesus said, you are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look perfect, but on the inside you are dead, rotting bones. That's the people who came to Jesus. And look how they came, first and foremost, to dispute with Him. That means they came to argue. They didn't want to know what Jesus believed. They came with one specific person 
purpose to argue and make his life miserable. And honestly, you've met people like that. It doesn't matter what happens, what goes on, they want to argue with you. They want to point out why you're wrong, why you're a mistake, why you're a failure, why what you believe is wrong. These people had nothing good for Jesus other than just to be a burden. But it goes on and says, not only did they dispute Him, they tested Him. That means they asked Him every difficult question they could ask Him. They tried to put Him on the spot in front of other people, answering with too much honesty or too much truth, causing people to get angry. So not only did they argue with Him, they tried to trick Him and caused Him to stumble and to embarrass Himself in front of all these people. But listen to Jesus' response this morning. Because it is a model of our response. But he sighed deeply in his spirit. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. The only time. You know what it would have been if Jake would have been the one being interviewed? Jake was angry in his spirit. Jake looked at them as they were stupid in his spirit. Jake said, I want nothing to do with them in His Spirit. Listen to how Jesus described these people and you'll understand maybe my reaction. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talking about these same group of people said, beware of false prophets. He said, watch out for them who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Jesus says they're wicked to the core. He says what comes out of them is what is in them. He says they are going to try to destroy you, harm you, ruin you, like a ravenous wolf. But yet Jesus sighed deeply. In the Old Testament, this word for sigh is used one time. And it is used when the nation of Israel has fallen apart. People have become wicked. No one cares about God. No one cares about worship. Everyone is just going through the motion. And listen to how it is described in Lamentations chapter 1. The roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to the set feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted and she is in bitterness. Jesus looks at this group of people and sighs because He realizes, do you know what you're doing to yourself? Do you know what privilege you have been given as being a Jewish person? You have the law. You have the temple. You have everything that you need to know who God is. And you're wasting it. You're wasting it on something that doesn't matter. That's why we've seen so many times that when Jesus looks out over the crowd, He was moved with compassion. Today I want you to know something. If you've been running from God, God is looking at you with compassion. If you're here today and you say, Jake, well, I'm too prideful. I don't need God. I have enough blessings. I have enough things. I have enough stuff. I just want enough of God to make my family happy on Sunday, but I don't need enough of Jesus to change everything about me. God is looking at you knowing that you are messing up 
that you are missing what He really could have for you. You are missing the blessings of a relationship with Him. You're missing the joy of forgiveness. You're missing the peace that surpasses all understanding. He is looking as a sigh in His Spirit. And so this morning I hope to encourage you that the question I ask for you today is, who are you choosing? Who are you trusting? You say, well, that's not what it means because Jesus says no sign will be given. Jesus is saying there is not a sign that He can give them that will change their mind. He has done tons of signs. He has healed the sick, given sight to the blind, caused the woman with the flow of blood to stop bleeding. He has drove out demons. He's turned water into wine. He's walked on water. He has done more than enough. But they have made the choice that we are not going to love Him. We're not going to care about Him. And this morning, whether you will admit it tonight or this morning or not, God has been revealing Himself to you. If God has blessed you this morning, if God has worked in your life this morning, if God has been better to you than you deserve, you might not want to admit it. You might not want to acknowledge it. You might not be willing to say it. But you need to know something. God has been good to you. God has been blessing you. God has been working in your life. And you say, Jake, well, you don't know my situation. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know how bad things are at home. You're right. I don't know the burdens you carry. I don't know the struggles that you have. But I want you to know something. No matter what burden I have in my life, God is still much better to me than I deserve. And this morning you need to know that, that God will continue to work and to move and to bless and to try to do everything to get your attention. But friends, the choice is still yours. Sometimes God uses the valleys and the tragedies and the difficulties to get our attention. But if you're here this morning, God will reach you through the blessings if you let Him. Second thing I want to show you this morning is after He warns them of this group of people, he needs, then He tells them that they need to be careful of the sin and the influence of others. This morning you need to know this. When it comes to your faith, you are being influenced by someone. You're either being influenced for the good or for the bad. As a parent, your kids are either being influenced for the good or for the bad. Who you hang out with as a husband, those people are either influencing you for the good or for the bad. As a wife, who you spend your time with is either influencing you for the good or the bad. And what Jesus says is, in these words, be careful who influences you. Look at verses 13 through 16. And he left them. So that group of people, those Pharisees, those religious hypocrites, he says, we're moving on. And he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Jesus just turned a miracle with a few loaves into a multitude of bread. But they forgot to take it with them. If you remember the last time Jesus turned the bread into a multitude. They took baskets for each one of them. Then He charged them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, Is this because we have no bread? So they forgot the bread except for one little basket. They're on the boat. Jesus looks at them and says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they thought, he was upset about a lack of bread. Friends, food is important. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was trying to teach them something, the leaven that made the bread 
grow, made it spread. In the New Testament, it is almost always referred to as sin and the corrupting influence that it has. One time in the New Testament, it's positive that the kingdom of God can grow in a positive way. But what he is saying here is, in your life and in mine, if you and I are influenced by wicked people, we are going to begin to look like them. If I, as a pastor, am not willing to teach you the Word of God, the truth of God, it will begin to negatively affect you. That is why as a church, I tell you every single week, I have begged you, I have pleaded with you, I have argued with you, I have shouted at you, I have wept at you, that you should be taking notes so that when you get home, you can study what you just were taught, that you can check the Word of God. Because friends, if you were to tell me I had to run three miles today, I would hate you. I would hate you. And the entire time I would run, I'm not sure I would make it the whole three miles, the entire time I would be saying, that no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel. I like them. I don't care about them. But you know whose fault it really would be? It's mine. I ought to be in a little bit better shape. I ought to not eat so much junky food. And so when something like that happens, I might not like it. I might not enjoy it, but it's still on me. And in our spiritual walk, you need to know something. You are always going to have an enemy, Satan, who is out to get you. You're always going to have false teachers who don't really care about God, but want to use God to get things from you. And they are responsible for their actions. But I'm also responsible as a Christian if I'm led astray. It's my responsibility as the husband and father of my family to know what God's Word says and to be on guard to protect them. It is my responsibility as a pastor to know what the Word of God says, to know what's going on in Christian music, what's going on in Christian Bible studies to protect you and this congregation from the influence that false teachers might have. You say, well, Jake, I go to church and I listen to Christian radio and I read Christian Bible studies. Friends, what I can tell you is about the only thing I read anymore is this book, a concordance that tells you where every word in the Bible is located in a Bible dictionary. Why? Because I want you to know some of my favorite authors have turned out to be absolute heathens. They've, they've turned out to be people who have gone astray, who have sold what they believe to sell books. And friends, when I stand before God someday, I cannot say, well, that preacher led me astray, or that teacher led me astray, or that musician led me astray. No, when I stand before God someday, it says I will give an account for what the Word of God says to my life. I will have to say, this is what the Bible says. And what Jesus is saying is, be very careful not to be led astray, not to be corrupted in your walk with the Lord. Listen to how the Bible describes it in Matthew chapter 16. Because sometimes this verse is used that they were spiritually blind and it's about salvation, but it's really not when you study what the Word says. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus explains this situation to them. How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that He did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread. There's nothing wrong with eating bread. The Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. But of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who you listen to, who influences you, why do you believe the things that you believe about God? 
And I know it's no fun to talk about sermons about what we believe, right? We want sermons about how to be a better husband or how to be a better wife or how to raise better children, friends. But the Bible says if you and I are preached another Jesus, another gospel, to let that teacher be cursed, to let that person be removed from the blessing and favor of God. Listen to the warning it gives to us who teach the Word of God. And as a church, you ought to take this seriously. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, the Bible says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, anytime someone claims to speak for God, he's talking about them, which I have not commanded him to speak. If someone tells you, well, God told me this and God didn't really tell them, that's what it's talking about. When someone will stand up and say, well, I know the Bible says this, but let me explain it to you in a way that it really means. Or I know this is what God's Word says, but I would like for you to understand it differently. He's talking to anybody that would twist the Word of God, would alter the Word of God, would change the Word of God, or who speaks in the name of other gods. That's when someone claims to speak for God, but brings in the worldly wisdom of the day. Well, you should know what your horoscope says or your, or your sign is. Friends, that is of the devil. You don't need that in your life. Listen to the consequence to that preacher who leads you astray. That prophet shall die. That's how serious God is about you hearing the truth. God wants you to be able to stand before Him someday and give an account knowing that what you have heard has been the truth. Knowing what you have taught your family has been the truth. Knowing that the Word of God is one that gives life, not bondage. Gives freedom, not slavery. Gives hope, not hopelessness. And so the third and final thing this morning, and I'll be done hopefully quickly, is that the disciples needed to understand and remember who God is and what He can do. Because even though Jesus knows our heart, even though Jesus warns us against being influenced, He tells us where we should focus on, where our attention should be. Because friends, serving God in the good times is easy. Praising God when the blessings are flowing is easy. But when everything falls apart, who do you turn to? When all of the problems of life overwhelm you, who do you turn to? Listen to what Jesus says in verses 17 through 21. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he answered and said to them, how is it that you do not understand? Now, this is how you can interpret this the right way. Jesus asked them this questions, and then he answers it for them. He says, how many leftovers did we have when we fed the 5,000? This many. How many leftovers did we have when we fed the 4,000? 
this many. What was He trying to get them to do? Remember. To remember how He had been faithful. To remember how He had provided. Is that not what He asked Him? You're not seeing, you're not understanding, and you're not remembering. The greatest danger that we have as Christians is after God has blessed us and after we have moved by the trial and we've moved past the tribulation and we've moved on past the miracle is that we forget what God has done. That's why it's such a big deal that they forgot to bring the bread with them because even though God had provided enough for them, they what? They moved on like it didn't matter. The first time this miracle happened, they were each collecting baskets, right? Each apostle had a basket. They each had a basket in this boat. The trip's not that far. You don't really need the bread to keep you alive. It was the fact that they had enjoyed the blessing of God and they were thankful for it. But this time, after they see God do the miracle, what happened? They just got over it. It didn't mean anything to them. And what Jesus says is, remember... Remember who was with you in the storms of life. Remember who was with you in the broken moments of life. Remember who was with you in the valleys of life. Remember who the one who provides for you. Remember the one who is going to change your life. As New Testament Christians, we look back and say, we should never forget what Jesus did for us on the cross. The fact that He took my sin and yours and died upon the cross for me. The fact that He was buried, the fact that He was dead, and the fact that He arose conquering sin and death and the grave. Everything we have as Christians is because of what Jesus does. And this morning, as God knows your heart, and as Satan tries to influence you, the person that you turn to, the thing that is required is for you and I to turn our eyes to Jesus. Always remembering His goodness, His faithfulness, His mercy. And as Christians, we get in trouble when we forget. When we get over the fact of God's blessed us. That God's taken care of us. Listen to what it says in Psalm 37, verses 3-6. through Trust in the Lord and do good. Don't miss this. The apostles had trusted Jesus. They had followed Him. They had got in the boat, but they forgot to do something to do the good that was asked of them. And so many times as Christians, we can sing the songs, we can listen to the sermons, we can sit through the Sunday school lessons, but when we get up to leave, nothing changes. If you heard a sermon about forgiveness, you don't get to stand up and say, I'm going to forgive everybody but you. I'm going to forgive everybody but you. I'm going to love everybody but you. No, when you get up and that you know what God has done for you, it means that it changes you. It means I'm not going to be the same husband. I'm not going to be the same wife. I'm not going to be the same parent. I'm not going to be the same co-worker. I know what God has done for me. And everything changes from this point on. 2 Corinthians 9 says it like this, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you shall always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. He says He will give you whatever you need to accomplish what He wants you to accomplish. You say, Jay, God wants me to be a better witness at work. I know I'm not very godly at work. Friends, it's not on Him. He has promised to give you everything you need to be a godly witness at work. 
You say, well, Jake, I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better wife. I need to listen to my parents better. I need to be a better parent. Friends, it's not on Him. He has promised to give us whatever we need. As a church, you say, well, Jake, look at us. We're full in the second service and we have a a first service and God's just blessing. God's just working. God's just moving. Look up here. God wants to do more if we'll let Him. God wants to reach more people if we'll let Him. God will change more lives if we'll let Him. God is a God who is at work and moving and changing lives. All we have to do is say, Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to stay humble? How do you want us to stay repentant? Lord, how do you want to use little old me who has nothing to offer, nothing good, who is wicked and broken and weak? God, how can you use me? And God says, that's where I need you because I can do everything through you without you. God says, I can work through you because of who He is. And so today what that means is no matter how you come or where you come from, Jesus is the answer. That means if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you say, well, Jake, I go to church. I've been baptized. I've taken the Lord's Supper. I'm very religious. None of that will get you to heaven. The only way to go to heaven is when the Spirit of God convicts you. And today you are sitting here realizing that you're a sinner. That you know that you've sinned against God and that you know you've not been forgiven. Jesus died upon the cross to take your sin, your punishment, your shame, and said if you'll repent of your sins and call upon His name, that you will be saved. Today you say, Jake, I know I'm a Christian, and, but I just, man, my life is a mess. I don't know what I believe. I don't know how to live out my faith. I'm just like a a ship being tossed around with no rudder, no motor, no nothing. Today what the Lord says, if you'll humble yourself, come to Him, that He will show you. He'll pull those negative influences. He can push all of that away and speak and work to you. You say, well, Jake, I think I'm a Christian. I think I'm doing pretty well in my walk with the Lord. How should I be praying? For what comes next? For what comes next? What storm has God allowed you to go through that you can give Him a testimony in this community? What person do you work with that's lost and hurting and broken and God says, I want to use you to make a difference in their life? Friends, this morning, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, God is wanting to work in your life. That's why He told him, why won't you hear? Why don't you listen? Why won't you remember? Here it is. And this morning, for whatever reason you're here, today you can leave here saying, it's been presented. I have the opportunity. And what comes next is my choice. It's my response to God offering it to me. You're not in a boat. You didn't forget bread. But friends, you're here today and God is willing to work in your life and in mine if we'll just let Him. If you would stand with us this morning as we pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I pray, Lord, that You would forgive me for any stuttering or stammering or selfishness, Lord, that I bring to the table. But Lord, I have tried my very best to present Your Word verse by verse, word by word, truthfully and honestly. Lord, I pray this morning that You would speak, that You would work, that You would move. Lord, I pray for those who are being devoured by ungodly influences.
Lord, I pray for those that are here today that know what Your Word has said, Lord, but have not been willing to submit. Lord, I'm thankful for those that are here today, Lord, that are in a season of thanksgiving, that they're just ready to praise You for Your goodness. But Lord, this morning I do pray for those that don't know You. God, there is nothing I can say that can convict them, that can draw them, that can deal them. Lord, but You promised that Your Holy Spirit would come into this world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Lord, I pray that would happen right now. That person that came for no matter what reasons realizes today, Lord, they're lost, but that You can find them. And Lord, I pray today that everything that is said and done is for Your glory and Your glory alone. And Lord, I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.